Well, good morning, family. Wow, good to be with you this morning. Uh, let's take just a moment, if we would, before we come to the Word, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for this opportunity, this opportunity to gather together as the family, as the body of Christ. We are grateful for your love for us. We are grateful for your gift of salvation to us in Christ. We are grateful for the fellowship that you give us in the family, in the body of Christ. And for the the beautiful gift it is to gather here this morning in your name. I do lift up this morning uh, the Schiefelbein family, especially Barbara. She is in the hospital at this moment uh, in critical but stable condition following an accident on Friday. We pray for healing for her and uh, your care for that family. Think also of our sister Charity Johnson who will be undergoing surgery tomorrow morning. We pray your grace upon her and for healing for her. Father, I'm sure there are many other needs uh, among us in those here in this room as well as perhaps those at home. Uh, All kinds of, of needs that I'm sure we all bring. We are a needy people. And we ask your grace upon each one. We ask your grace this morning that you would do a work in us. Uh, Meet us, especially this morning, in our spiritual needs. Draw us close to you and transform us. Make us more like our Lord Jesus through this time that we spend now in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a Bible open Uh, Open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah and chapter 29 this morning. I wonder, what do you do when life as you know it falls apart? When your life is turned upside down, perhaps by a tragedy like a tornado or a forest fire or the death of a loved one or evil people like a thief or a murderer or a molester or perhaps it's not so dramatic but you find your life you find yourself trapped in stressful or depressing circumstances things you didn't choose nor desire like a loveless marriage or solo parenting or a debilitating illness, debilitating health issues, or maybe a dead-end job. In other words, what do you do when life as you know it has become something that you never wanted, something you never desired, and it seems that there is no way out? Jeremiah 29 has some answers for us this morning. Begin, let's begin as I just read verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What we have before us this morning here in Jeremiah 29 is actually a a couple of letters, but 
And we're going to look at the first one this morning, Jeremiah 1 through 14. It's a letter that is written by Jeremiah to the, at this point, many thousands of Jewish exiles who are in Babylon. They've been taken there as captives by King Nebuchadnezzar. It's written sometime after, and many of you hopefully have been around as we've been going through this series in Jeremiah. Some of you may be here for the first time, but a little timeline here. This is written sometime between 597 and 586 B.C. It's after the second invasion of Babylon into Judah and before the last and the final invasion when in that last time Nebuchadnezzar destroys the nation, destroys the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple. And each invasion, he's taken more folks captive to Babylon. The last time in 586, basically almost everybody that's left standing is taken back to Babylon as exiles. Jeremiah, in this letter, is writing between those last two invasions, in that 10-year period, basically between 597 and 586. So there are many thousands of captives or exiles in Babylon. And he writes this to all of them. Because as we can only begin to imagine, these exiles are defeated, they are depressed, they are longing to return home, longing to go back to life as it used to be, to life as it was, but by the way, which can never be as really for all of us. You can't go back. So they're going back to what was, and they're wondering, what do we do now? For many of us, this question is not hypothetical. It is experiential. You are perhaps now, or you have been through a life-altering set of circumstances, and life isn't what you really want it to be, but there's no going back to what it was. And for really, I'd say for all of us, it is at some point in time a place where we will find ourselves. For all of us, at some point, finds us in a, in a time in life where at least some, if not most, or all of our dreams lay around us, shattered on the floor. What do you do when life is like that? And we often wonder in a time like that, where is God in all of this? It was a few years later, a few years after this letter sometime, that Nebuchadnezzar comes in 586 and completely destroys Jerusalem, takes basically everybody back as captives to Babylon. And it's at that time that one of those exiles penned Psalm 137, which we won't turn there this morning, but... He talks about their, their situation, their sufferings, and he asks the question, this psalmist, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we praise and honor God when we're in Babylon? When life isn't what we like or desire or want? If we were going to ask that question in our day, it would be, how can I live as a Christian? How can I live as a follower of Jesus Christ when life isn't what I choose or what I want? Again, sooner or later, most of us end up there at some time. Well, this letter 
that God, this message that God gives to Jeremiah to write this letter, that sent, and he sends it to all of these exiles, reveals some wonderful truths about God and how God deals with his children. Truths that are designed to encourage our troubled hearts as we live in difficult days. Three truths that you and I need to grasp about God for every day, but especially for those times where life gets difficult and discouraging. The next few verses after verse 1, we read verse 1, the next few verses are more detail about getting the letter to Babylon. And Let's move down to verse 4, where I find the first of these key truths. And it says there, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God here informs these exiles, these captives in Babylon, that they are there because He has put them there. He says, to all the exiles I have sent into exile. In other words, the point is that God is sovereign. If you were here last week as we were looking at Jeremiah 18, we had that same message again, that God is sovereign from a different perspective, a different point. It was about, you remember we were at the potter's house and God is the potter and Israel was the clay and the point is that God is in charge and He does what He wants and the message here is the same, but there's a different slant, a different point to it. But the truth is, again, the Jews are in Babylon, not because the Babylonians wanted the Jews there, but because God wanted them there. Someone once said that with God there are no accidents, only incidents. There's truth in that. It's biblical truth. I like the way that Pastor and author Tony Evans put it this way. Dr. Evans said, Everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God, and there is no third category. I appreciate that. That is biblical truth. And the first step for you or me out of despair, when life falls apart, the wheels fall off, it's not what we want. The first step out of despair is knowing and remembering and believing this truth. God has put, He has allowed us and put us right where we are. As a child of God, we can know that whatever our circumstances, they are not an accident. We may not like our circumstances. Our circumstances may be unpleasant. In matter of fact, our circumstances may be almost unimaginably painful. But we are here where we are because God wants us here. Do you believe that? Janet and I just celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary. It was 44 years ago that some college friends of ours got married on the same day that we did in a different city. It was 14 days later that our friends were killed in a car accident as they were on their way to church where my friend Dale was going to preach. 
their parents wrote these words on their tombstone. God is good and he makes no mistakes. It's easy to say that when everything is good, when everything is going along swimmingly well. Do we believe that when the wheels fall off? But believing this truth is essential to finding peace and finding hope and finding courage in the midst of hard circumstance. God is sovereign, even in Babylon, even in your Babylon. There's a second truth here about God that I want us to notice. And that is, not only is God sovereign, even in our Babylon, but that God is with us, even in Babylon. For centuries, the Jews had lived with and grown accustomed to the understanding that God is present with them. His presence dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. Where do you find God? And they would probably say, well, God is his, he's in the temple. We go to the temple in Jerusalem there to meet with God, to be with God. Of course, he's there in the temple in Jerusalem. But now these captives, these exiles are far removed from Babylon. And very shortly after this, even if they were in Jerusalem, the temple it will be destroyed. It won't be there. Nebuchadnezzar will wipe it out. And so if we go back to Psalm 137, where he asks, how can we sing praises to God? How can we worship God in a strange or in a foreign land? It's, quite a, it's really a practical question. For many of the Jews who have grown accustomed to, God is there in Jerusalem, in the temple. Well, if, the, if we're not there and if the temple isn't there, how can we praise God? How can we worship and honor Him in a foreign land? In a land and in a time where we feel abandoned by God. We don't know where or how to find Him. Some of you have maybe asked that question in the midst of your difficulty or your despair. Where are you, God? Sometimes the psalmist asks that question. Where are you? But if they had been thinking that God's presence was in Jerusalem, in the temple, and that now there's no place to find Him, they are mistaken. Yes, God's presence did dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. God in His grace had given the people of Israel from the time in the wilderness a physical manifestation of His presence. The Shekinah glory of God came and dwelt among them in the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud by night and then there in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. But make no mistake, God was neither then nor is God now ever limited to a place. He has always been omnipresent, one of those characteristics of God. He is always everywhere. 
And even the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I flee from your presence? You are, wherever he is, you are there. I love the New International Translation, New International Version translation of this verse 4. We read it in the ESV, which is what's in our pew. But I think it picks up a nuance that that is in the Hebrew in this word, uh, this verb, where God says, I sent you into exile. The NIV picks this up. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those, here it is, I carried into exile. You see, God didn't just send them into exile. He carried them. He is with them even in Babylon. He's with them in exile because He took them there. And while God did exile His people to Babylon, while God did send them there for punishment, please understand, and they think they've been abandoned by God. They haven't been. Notice again what God says here in this verse. God says, this is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says. See, God has sent them into exile as we've seen through the book of Jeremiah because they kept walking away from God. They kept abandoning God. They kept going after other gods and leaving God. And God says, who does this? What other nation has abandoned their gods? But my people have abandoned me. And now they think they've been abandoned by God. But isn't it interesting that God still says, I'm their God. God still owns His people. His people disowned Him, but He has not disowned them. It's good news there. Our God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. He did not abandon them. He calls Himself the God of Israel. Child of God, we have a promise from God that He is always with us. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. The book of Hebrews also says, Hebrews chapter 13, it says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Those are good words to hear, aren't they? Not only is God sovereign, not only is He in control, He is with us even in our Babylon, even in our time of distress, even in our time of deep discouragement, even in our time of loneliness, in our time of pain, in our time of oppression, whatever it is, He is with us. Years ago, some of you have been around long enough, you remember Gil and Nancy Stunkel. I remember visiting with them when... Cancer was daily stealing the the strength and the life out of Gil's body shortly before he passed into the presence of our Lord. And I remember as I was sitting there talking with them one day, and I asked them the question, I said, Gil, Nancy, do you ever feel abandoned by God? Do you ever feel like you're in this alone And I remember them looking at me and Nancy saying, Oh, no. Oh, no. No, it's not that way at all. It's exactly the opposite. 
We have never felt the presence of God so near or so dear or so strong as we feel Him with us right now in this ordeal. God has made it a sweet and a special time, she said. Brothers and sisters, so it is, even in the midst of those dark times that we may encounter in our life. God is with us if we will but look for Him. For the third truth, I'm going to skip past a couple of verses for a moment, down to verse 8. The third truth about God that we need for these for difficult times in our life. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. The third truth we need to grasp here about God is that God has a purpose. He has a plan for us, even in Babylon, even in the difficult Times, even in the times of suffering. If we know any verse from Jeremiah by heart, or if you know any verse from Jeremiah well, it's probably verse 11 here of this chapter. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. You know, that verse, you can go into probably any Christian bookstore and find ten different plaques. You know, you can find it bumper stickers. We probably many of us have it on one, uh, some wall in our house or maybe on a shirt or something. We love this verse. It's a great verse. But we miss the context when it's decorated in embroidery, you know, and flowers and it's, you know, hanging there and all its beauty on the wall. We miss the fact that it's in the context of a bunch of people who are in the middle of judgment coming from God, they're being judged for their sin. And these folks, it's in a letter that's written to folks who are in exile, who have had family members killed, houses destroyed, their possessions taken, their freedom robbed, and they are now in a foreign land. There's the context. We miss that, don't we? We just read that verse by itself. But the message is still true. Many things, many times we come to promises that are given to God's people, Israel, and we have to understand that not every promise that is given to Israel is a promise for us. God gave promises, national promises for them about the land, about the kingdom. And we're going to talk more about some of that next week when we talk about the new covenant, so I won't get too far down that way. 
We can't take every promise that's given to Israel and apply it to us, but this is one we can. Because there's a New Testament equivalent, and matter of fact, some folks have called this verse, the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, because the message is really the same. Romans 8.28, many of us know by heart. And, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You see, God has a purpose. He has plans for us. And God is working in every situation, even in our Babylon. He is working for our good. Now, there were apparently some false prophets they're in Babylon who are saying, folks, relax. Everything's going to be okay. We're not going to be here that long. Just a little while, we're going to go back. We still have a king on the throne in, in Jerusalem. And, and we're going to get out of here. God's going to work all this out. And God sends this message saying, hey, those guys don't speak for me. Matter of fact, we find he says elsewhere in this, in this little letter, he says, they're saying what you want them to say. Let me tell you the truth. Well, we just read 70 years. You're going to be here for a while. 70 years. It's not what they want to hear, but God says you need the truth. You're going to be here 70 years because I'm working a purpose. I'm working a plan. What is that purpose? What is that plan? Look down in verse 12 and 13. We read it. Then you will call upon me and come. And pray to me. Then, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, God's plan, His purpose in taking them to Babylon, it's because it's in judgment for their sin. And it's to break them. It's to break them of their continual running after idols that are not gods at all, that cannot answer. To get them to turn back to God. Finally to call upon Him. And apparently it's going to take 70 years to get there. These are some slow learning folks. That's going to be the last lesson, by the way, when we get there. God is going to, He wants to get them where they will come back to Him. They will seek Him and love Him. Likewise, God today works through our times in Babylon, our times of distress and, distress and discouragement and difficulty and suffering. And He works through those to purify us and He works through those to mature us and He works through those to grow us. For example, it says that James chapter 1, Therefore count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Why? He goes on to say, because the Lord is working. He is working to grow us and mature us. Well, three essential truths for you and me, if we are going to, uh, for us to, to cling to and that will help us to live well. Three essential truths about God. He is sovereign. He is with us. And he has a purpose for us. But I find here also three keys. Three things for you and me to do when we're in these times, even when life is difficult and frustrating and devastating that will help us live well. Three keys to living well when life is difficult. The first is seek Him. Seek God. If God's purpose 
through these difficult times is to grow us and mature us and draw us nearer and dearer to Him, to deepen our relationship with Him and our love for Him. If that's our purpose, then why don't we just start there and say, okay, I want that. And seek Him. That would seem like the logical first step, the first key. Start there. Don't wait for 70 years to get there. Like apparently these folks do. We need to seek God because the greatest blessing that you and I can enjoy is not what we usually think it is. You and I look for the greatest blessing and the greatest joy in life in the gifts of life. When the greatest joy and the greatest blessing is not found in the gifts, but it's found in the giver. It's found in relation with Him. And so often I think God's purpose in stripping away some of the things that we think are the gifts and we think we can't live without is so that we can learn that we can live without them. What we can't live without is Him. We need to seek God. That is exactly God's purpose here for these, for these exiles as we just read. Then you will call on me. Then you'll seek me with all your heart. So we start there. The next two keys for us to living well I find in two commands that he gives to them. We find the first of these commands in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. God says, I've put you in Babylon and I've put you in Babylon for a while, 70 years. So what should you do? Make the most of it. Settle down. Live life. Build houses, plant gardens, marry and have children and raise grandchildren and great-grandchildren, he says, live productively. Quit wallowing around in self-pity about what used to be and what you used to have. Anybody here like to do that? <laughs> when, when we lose something, when, when we, things fall apart, we go, oh... I wish we still had this. Wish life was still like that. And quit sitting around waiting and whining about what you wish could be. I wish life were like this. I wish life were like that. Okay? Pity parties. You guys like to throw them. I do. Next time maybe I should send invitations. Have you come? Join mine. He says, quit having a pity party and start living productively and as productively and fully as you can. Each day is a gift from God. Live today for Christ and make the most of it. Yesterday is past. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so use today for Jesus, as Ephesians chapter 5 puts it this way. And by the way, serve God in our circumstances, even in Babylon. Here's what Ephesians 5 says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Are the days that you are living in right now evil? Are your circumstances not what you want? What should we do with it? 
Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now listen to the next verse. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, living productively, not being foolish, means what does God want? And living according to what God desires. Live productively for Christ. Serve Him in your circumstances. By the way, serving God in your circumstances doesn't just mean doing church stuff. It doesn't just mean, you know, coming and teaching a Sunday school class or working in the nursery, and those are important things. What it does mean is doing everything we do for Christ. It's simply whether we're building houses, as he tells them to do, or planting gardens, or raising families, that we do that to the the honor of Christ. That we do everything we do to honor Him. We honor Him with the quality of our work. We honor Him with the integrity of our work. We honor Him with our attitudes and motives in which we do whatever it is, from washing dishes to scrubbing floors to construction work, as he talks here, or whatever it is, or if we do teach Sunday school, or if we are sharing the gospel, whatever we do, we do everything to honor Him. That's what Colossians chapter 3 tells us. It says there, is that there? Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So if we sweep floors this afternoon to the honor of Christ, it is a spiritual work and it honors Him. That's how we live productively. Brothers and sisters, if you're in the midst of despair, if you're in the midst of difficult circumstances today, I'm very sorry. But what God calls us to do is to do whatever, to to live as productively as we can, as fully as we can, in whatever the circumstance we are in. It may be very limited compared to what it used to be, but we do it to the fullest and best we can to the honor of Christ. That's what... God calls these, these captives, these exiles in Babylon to do. Second thing He commands them to do, I find in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This command is actually shocking. Instead of hating our enemies and seeking their destruction, we are to look to be a blessing to others, especially to our enemies. Instead of desiring their destruction, we are to pray for them. It says to pray for their welfare. This word welfare in Hebrew is the word shalom. You've heard that word. The greeting, shalom, it means peace, it means prosperity, it means well-being. You are to pray for the well-being of your enemies. You are to desire their well-being. You are to work for their well-being. That's shocking. Can you just put yourself in these people's shoes for a second if we can? We've never been there, so how do we do that? Well, just think what this is. You are a captive in a foreign land. 
A captive in a foreign land and you got there because this other people came and conquered your land. Their armies came into your land and their armies killed your brother, your brother-in-law. They, they raped your sister-in-law. They took you and your family into captivity while they burned your house and they took your TV and they were watching their TV in their tents. On and on. You were drugged through the desert 500 miles to Babylon. All kinds of sufferings and atrocities we can only imagine that happened along the way. See, can you get that picture? And now you get this letter from God to you that says, Seek the welfare of the people where you are. You can't go into your neighbor's house without there. You go in there and she has a picture of her son. Okay, they didn't have photographs, but I'm imagining this. She has a picture of her son who serves in the Babylonian army in uniform. And she's so proud of him. You see how hard this is? Everywhere they can look, all they can see is reminders of what has happened to them, all the wrongs that have been done to them. And God says, seek good for these people. Pray for them. You've got to be kidding, right? Nope. Why? We'll go back to rule thing one number one we learned about God. God is sovereign. And if God has allowed these things to happen, and if God has brought you here, it is not by accident. You know, God didn't just God didn't say in the opening line of the letter, oops, I'm sorry. I got distracted. I was watching the Olympics and I love the gymnastic stuff and I, I missed it when Nebuchadnezzar came and invaded and took you guys captive. Sorry, I'm back. What are we going to do now? You know, no. God said, this is all a plan. You're here. And as much as we don't like what's happened and what God has allowed, God says you're here for a purpose and the whole reason you have enemies is God has a purpose. And if the purpose is to grow and mature us and make us like Christ, Brothers and sisters, if you have an enemy, God has put them there for a reason. And if part of the reason is to make you like Christ, and if on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ from the cross of Calvary prayed for His enemies, it's exactly what Jeremiah here is asking us to do. Pray for your enemies. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Martin Niemöller was a German pastor arrested by the Nazis in World War II. Every day in his prison cell, he knelt down and he prayed for his torturers and his captors. The other prisoners asked, why in the world do you do that? And he said, do you know anyone who needs our prayers more than our captors? God desires for you and for me to be a blessing to the people around us. That includes our neighbors, the ones who are our friends and who are easy to love, and our enemies, the ones who are difficult, the ones who torment us. The greatest need of all of them, uh, the greatest need of these folks back in Babylon, was to learn that there is a God in heaven whom they need to come to know to know His forgiveness and to come into relationship with Him. And that is the greatest need of our neighbors around us today. They need Jesus. We must pray for them. 
and desire good for them, especially the good that they come to know Christ. So brothers and sisters, if we're going to live in our own time of Babylon, our own time when life becomes nothing that we thought we wanted and nothing that we desired, we need to remember these three truths about God. God is sovereign. God is with us. God has a purpose. And we need to remember to take these, to begin taking these three steps, these three actions in our life, to seek God, to live as productively and as fully as we can to honor Christ and seek to be a blessing to others around us however we can, and most especially to point them to Jesus. I'm so glad that God let us in a little bit here on this message. It was a message these folks in Babylon needed to hear so much that in reading their mail, looking over their shoulder, how I realize it's something we need to hear so much as well, don't we? Let's pray. Father, thank You for these words. They are hard to hear because they are difficult things to do. It's difficult if, if we're in a place where life isn't uh, turned upside down, where, where we are, aren't in the midst of difficulty and suffering. These are hard things. We go, wow, that's tough. But for many of our folks here, they've been there or they are there right now. And it's difficult. But may we understand what a great and mighty and loving God you are who is in control. Things aren't out of control. And you are not a God who has abandoned us in our need, but you are with us in our difficulty. And you are a loving God who has not brought anything into our lives that has not passed through your grace and your love and it has a purpose, and that purpose is to strip away the things that so often get in our way where we, we fall in love with these gifts and we've missed the giver. In the time of difficulty, as well as in the time of blessing, Father, may our focus always be on You, the giver. And may we find our great joy, our greatest joy, and our great love in You, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Father, may we seek You with all our heart. And Father, may we, may we be those who serve You and live productively. We make the most of every gift of life You give us in this life. Until Jesus comes, or You take us home. And Father, may we be a blessing to folks around us, especially those who need to know Jesus. Father, may we, this church, those who are in this room this day, those who are watching at home, Father, may we be those whom You use to be a great blessing, a great spokesman, ambassador for Christ in our day and to our world. We ask in Jesus' name.